Perhaps one of the more controversial statements found in Christianity is the expression extra ecclesia nulla salus, or outside the church there is no salvation. It's regarded as so controversial that in some Protestant circles, it's become regarded as heretical, a bizarre mixing of ecclesiology and soteriology that needs to ultimately be untangled because it undermines the fundamental premise of faith alone. And how can this be terribly surprising? After all, the most vocal and staunch defenders of this principle, they have used it not only as a defense of the Roman Catholic Church, but also as a means to condemn any who do not fall in line with the teachings of the Bishop of Rome. Yet rather than outright rejecting this statement, the Protestant reformers, they applied a different meaning to it, one which was based on a proper biblical understanding. In this sense, it wasn't about the seat of St. Peter or the authority of popes, but rather a matter of the Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church as it was expressed in the creedal understanding of the church as a body that confesses the triune God and places its trust in Christ crucified. But what does that mean? What does that mean and how is it applied to the idea of extra ecclesium nulla salus? How does this apply to our lives as Christians? That's what we'll be exploring this week as we continue our journey into theological expressions and phrases that Christians should know. I'm Wyatt McIntyre, and this is Our Timeless Faith. In the 3rd century, Cyprian, who was the Bishop of Carthage, wrote a letter. It was a response to Jubianus answering a question. Namely, if individuals who were baptized by those who had been deemed heretics, those who now established themselves outside of the church, would need to be baptized again to be accepted into the church. For Cyprian, the answer was clear. Those who did the baptism had done so illegitimately, performing an act that was not only not within their power, but was also not their right. In this, it wasn't that the individual would have to be rebaptized, but rather they would need to be baptized for the first time, because the act that was performed it was clearly not a baptism. It was a pale imitation of it. An interesting read. At the start, he focuses on the Novatins who were rebaptizing before going in to a list of some of the other early heretical sects, and then speaking about the Marcoinites who had been 
specifically mentioned by Jubianus in this original letter. And what's interesting about all of these various different sects, these various different heretical bodies that he speaks about, is that they all deny biblical Christianity in some way. They reject some fundamental principle of scriptural Christianity. For example, the Novatin heresy, it rejected certain elements of the co-equality of the Father and the Son. The Marcoinites, the Marcoinites really following their leader, restructured and reworked the scriptures, removing anything that they considered to be too Jewish in its nature. They were, in some senses, in some forms, a variation of the early Gnostics. And so, in this sense, they were clearly outside of what would have been considered biblical Christianity, orthodox Christianity. And so it's here that Cyprian then, after laying his case out, declares the statement, solus extra ecclesium non est. There is no salvation outside of the church. And this, this right here, is the basis of the expression we know today as extra ecclesium nulla salus. Cyprian was not unique, though, in that belief. In Arrhenius's timeless works against heresy, he declares the church to be what he refers to as the entrance to life, declaring all other religions and heretical sects to be nothing more than thieves and liars because it is only the church that has the true apostolic faith which it handed down to her sons. It's Cyprian, though, who perhaps was the most comprehensive on this question. And here he lays out a number of parameters for orthodoxy, which counters the beliefs of these heresies that had arisen. Then, then, he declares that for one to declare that God was, in fact, their father, they had to acknowledge the church as their mother. What was clear from Cyprian's teaching on the matter was that there were specific doctrines on matters such as the Trinity, on matters such as faith, which clearly placed someone either on the inside of the church or outside of it. And yet, the statement, the statement itself, extra ecclesium nulla salus, is a difficult one. And the reason for it is, the reason for it is because of the narrower understanding which has been historically applied 
and promoted by the church in Rome. One that asserts Romanum into the statement, so that it's extra ecclesium Romanum nola salis, or there is no salvation outside of the Roman church. For those who have heard this position, this has been their only real experience with it. The idea that one has to be within the Roman Catholic communion in order to be saved. Otherwise, otherwise they're heretics and they face eternal damnation. It has been a doctrine that has been so abused throughout the centuries, particularly since the Middle Ages, that most have sought to steer clear from it. It, after all, conjures up images of Pope Gregory VII using this doctrine to bring the Holy Roman Emperor Henry IV in line through excommunication. A historical event that saw the Holy Roman Emperor dress as a pauper and beg for three days for forgiveness. Or perhaps it conjures up the image of the weapon that Leo X would try to use in order to deal with that pesky monk from Germany, Martin Luther. It was this doctrine that almost cost Luther his life had he not been kidnapped by friends on his way home from the Diet of Worms. Like I said, this has been a doctrine that has been incredibly abused in its application. And yet, though the application would be incorrect, the idea of extra ecclesium nulla salis is not. It is, in fact, a biblical concept that is incredibly important for us to remember particularly in our present age, amidst a backdrop of our present society. Particularly in, in an age where people make bold claims such as, I don't need the church because Jesus lives in my heart, or I don't need religion, I just need to be a good person and that will be enough. We, after all, live in a time and a place in history where people of faith willingly and willfully abandon the fellowship of believers and the body of Christ, making the argument that it's unnecessary because they can worship God anywhere. Because God is everywhere. And so for us to properly understand what extra ecclesium nulla salis means, we need to understand the nature of the church. We need to understand what the church is. In the words of the Nicene Creed, we confess that we believe in one holy, catholic, and apostolic church. While in the Apostles' Creed, we confess the belief in the holy catholic church 
and the communion of saints. In some readings, the term Catholic has been replaced with Christian, a tradition that actually dates back to prior to the Reformation, when it was translated from the Latin, but that still persists in some Protestant churches today in order to avoid confusion with the church in Rome. After all, when we say Holy Catholic Church, it conjures up certain images. Simply understood, the term Catholic, a word derived from Greek, simply means universal. Here then, with the Reformers, we recognize that there are two churches, the hidden and the visible. The hidden church is the entirety of those who are regenerate, those who are regenerate by the power of the Holy Spirit, the elect of God from the beginning of his earthly creation to the end. These are those who Paul states he chose in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Those who he predestined for adoption through Christ according to his will and pleasure. It isn't bound to any time or place, but rather is where the believers are wherever they may be scattered across this temporal existence from beginning to end, from Adam to those who are gathered when Christ returns again. When the scripture refers to the bride of Christ, referencing it to the church, they are referring to the hidden church, those who have an intimate relationship with God, initiated by him, those who are faithfully submissive to him. Outside of the hidden church, the holy Catholic and apostolic church, there is no salvation because those who are among its members are those chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world that they should be blameless and holy. We refer to it as the hidden church because we can't fully see it, nor can we fully discover it. It's not discernible by the eyes of men, nor can we quantify it through empirical means, because we cannot see the effectual calling of the Spirit, nor can we witness regeneration as if it were an event or even look into the hearts of others. These are all spiritual and internal to the individual. It's only God who is able to perceive the fullness and the beauty of the hidden church because, as Paul reminds Timothy in the second epistle, only God truly knows who is his. Yet, it is one church. It is the communion of saints, wherever it may be, wherever it may be scattered. The visible church, on the other hand, can be seen. 
It can be witnessed. It has visible signs because it consists of all who confess and profess the true faith and their children. It consists of those who, through their words and deeds, say that they are Christians. This church has specific marks to it, namely orthodox preaching, the gospel purely taught, the sacraments properly administered, and church discipline properly practiced. Yet among the visible church, there can be unbelievers, there can be hypocrites, there can be the unregenerate, those who profess the Christian faith, but who are not saved. Jesus speaks of this in the parable of the sheep and the goats. Well, elsewhere, for example, in Matthew 7, he says things like, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The beloved disciple John makes a similar assertion in, his sec- in the second chapter of his first epistle when he states, They went out from us, but they were not of us. This is what, this is what we're referring to. The reality that amidst the visible church, there may be false sons those who are not the elect of God. Yet they're not easily discernible because they may do all the right things or they may say all of the right things. And yet, on that final day, Christ will say, I never knew you. Depart from me you workers of lawlessness. What we also come to recognize with the hidden church and the visible church is that though God is everywhere, he only chooses to reveal himself in certain ways and in certain places. And it is through the visible church that he ultimately chooses to bring us to spiritual life, caring for us, nurturing us. It is the visible church that he uses as the primary means to save his people. It is, after all, the visible church that preaches the word and that administers the sacraments from baptism to communion. It is through the visible church that ministers are called, that pastors and teachers are offered to strengthen, nourish, and edify his people. Even in the most obscure ways, it is the ministries of the visible church 
evangelizing, bringing the good news into the world, bringing Christ to the nations that reaches people. It is this visible church that we read of in Acts when it says that God added daily to their numbers that they would be saved. And those who are members of the hidden church, the elect of God, they will always, always seek the visible church and love her, seeking fellowship with one another in it to worship and glorify their God, to worship and glorify their Father. Because the church is a spiritual body which ultimately will and does manifest itself in a visible organization. Cyprian, in explaining this relationship, would state that those who did not claim the church as their mother could not claim God as their father. A sentiment that would be reiterated by John Calvin, who would state in his Institutes, to those to whom he, that is God, is a father, the church must also be a mother. To those to whom he is a father, the church must also be a mother. In this sense, the imagery of the visible church as a mother is a fitting one because through it, Christians, true Christians, are birthed and nurtured as they grow in their faith. It is, after all, where the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit, having been there, presiding over its beginning. And because of this unique relationship, in the words of the Westminster Confession of Faith, the visible church, which is also Catholic and universal under the gospel, not confined to one nation as before under the law, consists of all those throughout the world that profess the true religion and of their children and is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, the house and the family of God, out of which there is no ordinary possibility of salvation. Luther would explain it like this. Therefore, he who would find Christ must first find the church. How should we know where Christ and his faith were if we did not know where his believers are? And he who would know anything of Christ must not trust himself nor build a bridge to heaven by his own reason, but he must go to church attend and ask her. Now the church is not wood and stone, but the company of believing people. One must hold to them and see how they believe, live, and teach. 
they surely have Christ in their midst. For outside of the church, there is no truth, no Christ, no salvation. As we look at these two expressions, I want to draw your attention back to the Westminster Confession of Faith. Because the word ordinary that is used there is essential to our understanding when it states that out of the church there is no ordinary possibility of salvation. What this means is that outside of the visible church, one may, in the most extraordinary of circumstances, be saved according to the sovereign will of God through some form of exceptional circumstances. But this tends to be the exception rather than the norm. And even if this does happen, they still need the church because, again, back to the Westminster Confession, unto this Catholic visible church, Christ has given the ministry oracles and ordinances of God for the gathering and perfecting of the saints in this life to the end of the world and does by his own presence and spirit according to his promise make them effectual thereunto. To this end there is a realization this is that the visible church is intended to be a manifestation of the hidden church, not because of the holiness of those who are its members, but because of the purifying power of God's word and sacraments, because of the holiness of God. To this end, unlike the narrow definition of the traditional Roman approach that tended to weaponize this doctrine against its enemies, it is not outside of a specific visible church that there is no salvation. Loyalty to denomination is inconsequential to this equation, as are human traditions, particularly when they are forced or they are coerced. Rather, what is consequential is fidelity to the word and sacrament. The visible church is not brick and mortar or stone and timber, but rather the fellowship or the gathering of those who profess Christ as their Savior, holding fast to God's word in purity. As such, one should view membership in the visible church to be essential, recognizing that those who remove themselves from that fellowship put themselves in grave spiritual danger, and that, as adopted children of God, they are commanded to not only honor the visible church, but also to maintain their fellowship with it. But they also must remember something important. It is the membership in the hidden church that is sufficient for one's salvation. Thus, what we maintain 
is that there is no salvation outside of the hidden church, and that the elect of God, in full obedience to him, maintain themselves within the visible church, fulfilling Christ's great commission to reach the elect who are currently outside of its pale. Realizing then that so long as the visible church is faithful, we reflect our salvation through it. Thus, the elect does not argue that they don't need the church. It doesn't argue that they don't need religion because through their election, they are intrinsically bound to it. They instead seek the word taught in orthodoxy, the gospel preached in purity, the sacraments administered faithfully. They recognize where God reveals himself and that Christ, Christ loves his bride, and thus so too should they, forsaking not the fellowship of believers wherever it meets. Their salvation intrinsically tied to the church hidden, the church triumphant. They then make the church temporal their priority because it is the church temporal, the visible church that is used by the Spirit to bring people to salvation in Christ. As such, Extra Ecclesium Nulla Salus is intrinsically bound to our understanding that Extra Christum Nullum Salus, or outside of Christ, there is no salvation, because the church, as the body and the bride of Christ, is an extension of him. And the church on earth, the church visible, is an extension of the church hidden. And so here we come to a right and proper understanding of extra ecclesium nulla salis, or outside of the church there is no salvation. But then that's all I really wanted to say about this. I want to thank you for taking the time to join with me and remind you that you can find Our Timeless Faith online at ourtimelessfaith.com. There I release new articles, hopefully every week on Tuesdays. This past week I put out a new piece called Our Restless Hearts, which looks at one of the most famous lines from Augustine and from his confessions. Please check that out. You can also find me online at Facebook at Wyatt McIntyre or on Twitter at Wyatt McIntyre. And you can find Our Timeless Faith on Instagram at Our Timeless Faith. There's also a YouTube channel. You can find it by searching for Wyatt McIntyre. There's not a lot there right now, but I'm hoping as time goes on to release more videos. So please take the opportunity to check those things out and connect with me there. But until we have the opportunity to meet again, 
May the peace of the Lord, that transcending, encompassing peace, that peace that surpasses all human understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, even unto life everlasting. Amen.